For those of you who haven't met our visiting teacher, uh, this is actually his last evening talk, from Wat Mark Jan Monastery in Thailand. Uh, he's come to visit us very kindly, he lived with us for the last uh, over two weeks, two and a half weeks, and he's going back on Monday, so tonight will be the last evening talk he's giving. Tonight we have come together to chant and to meditate and to prepare to celebrate the installation of the relics of the Lord Buddha that we have here tomorrow. The way we celebrate is through the practice of the Dhamma. We chant the Buddha's teachings, we practice meditation to quieten our minds and most importantly of all we celebrate by listening to the Dhamma teachings to increase our understanding. The Lord Buddha in his compassion taught us many guidelines and ways for living our lives in this world in a way that will bring us peace and happiness. Already living in the world, especially in a country such as this, Australia, we have much material wealth, material development around us. We have much comfort, physical comfort. But all of this has originated from the mind, the different proliferations and outflows of the mind seeking these things, creating these things. But what we can see also is that this material development that surrounds us hasn't been able to end the different experiences of stress and suffering that we can experience in our minds and hearts. So the Lord Buddha taught us how to live in a way that will end our suffering and bring us true happiness. If we are still of the age Uh, where we have to work, where we have family, children to bring up. He gave us many guidelines how to do this successfully in a way that we can be peaceful with ourselves and with the people and the world around us. He taught us to live with metta, to have an attitude of well-wishing towards others. He taught us to be diligent in our duties and our responsibilities, whether towards the family or towards our work. (coughs) He taught us to live with an attitude uh, and an intention of mind that is, we would say, self-sacrificing. If we're too selfish, self-centered in life, then it generally leads us to harm ourselves and other people our families and the society around us. So we need to have a certain sense of giving up of our selfish desires and in the beginning of practice, Dhamma practice, uh, this giving up of our more selfish and harmful desires that can lead to um, trouble with other people and in society is called the practice of morality. If we have moral guidelines to live by and follow, this is what we call sila in the Buddhist teachings. The most basic level of morality or sila is the five precepts. 
these five simple guidelines for uh, to guide us in our daily lives, to live in a moral way where we're not harming ourselves or others. That is to undertake to refrain from killing and harming other beings, to undertake to refrain from stealing, taking what is not given, to undertake to refrain from sexual misconduct and harmful sex, to undertake to refrain from wrong speech, such as lying, divisive speech, coarse speech and frivolous speech, and to undertake to refrain from taking uh, alcohol and different kinds of drugs and intoxicants which take away our mindfulness. When we use these guidelines to live in a skillful way in our lives, in society, they bring us many benefits. They bring us a state of mind that is free from remorse, free from guilt, and that is a very important kind of happiness. It brings to both our minds and our hearts a sense of coolness and inner peace. When we don't look after our actions and our speech, we're not very careful. It will lead to confusion and suffering in our hearts, uh, both in our own hearts and problems and suffering with other people. Another quality that the Lord Buddha encouraged us to develop in our daily lives is this quality of renunciation. Renunciation for a higher happiness, a higher good. So, for instance, coming here to support this monastery, um, to help build it up, support it with food and different kinds of requisites and resources, involves the practice of generosity and renunciation. Um, the Lord Buddha himself was a great example of this. He embodied these qualities of renunciation and self-sacrifice. He, these were what we call his parami, the different spiritual perfections that he had developed over the ages and the expression of his goodness and purity. That we can have a place like this monastery, Buddha Bodhiwana Monastery, uh, is as a direct result of all the self-sacrifice, the renunciation that the Buddha gave, made uh, for um, humanity. So we have that example and we have to follow in his example and learn how to develop this sense of renunciation and self-sacrifice. If we are to live our lives successfully, then we must have generosity and a sense of self-sacrifice. If we are living in a family, then a husband has to sacrifice for his wife, the wife must sacrifice for her husband. Parents must sacrifice for their children and grandchildren. This is the way society functions when it's functioning well, when people are harmonious and living together in peace. There must be this, this sense of willingness to sacrifice for others. When we practice like this then, in accordance with truth, with morality and a sense of renunciation, kindness, this will help to raise up the level of our minds and hearts. And what it also does, it brings us a sense of inner peace and happiness 
which is the foundation for our spiritual growth. When we have this inner peace and happiness, then we will quickly notice whenever suffering arises in our hearts, because it's different, it's the opposite. And we'll see that suffering arises when there's no clarity, there's no awareness, there's no mindfulness. When we lack mindfulness, then our mind and our heart is easily disturbed and our peace disappears. There's no stability of mind. So, when we come to practice the teachings, put them into practice in our daily lives, we're developing mindfulness of our actions, of our speech, we develop this awareness which watches over the, our actions and speech, and this brings us to a, a sense of ease and happiness of mind, or peace of mind. From this, we can develop further awareness, further mindfulness, to actually see where the cause of our um, lack of peace or disturbance arises in the mind itself. Um, this we do by pr practicing sati or mindfulness in a continuous way. If we keep developing mindful awareness of our minds through life, we will have um, a suitable way to deal with the different kinds of experience we have as human beings. We'll be able to deal with the experience of gain, getting things. We'll, have to, we'll be able to deal well with the experience of losing things, gain and loss. We'll be able to deal well with uh, praise and the good words coming from others and we'll be able to deal well with the, pl the blame and criticism that comes from others. We'll be able to see that states of suffering and unhappiness, states of happiness, they all arise in this mind the mind is the forerunner of everything, it's the leader of everything. So if we can train our mind in meditation, we can train to develop mindfulness in a consistent and sustained way, this will be the cause for happiness to arise. We can see when we meditate that often there is all kinds of mental proliferation, different kinds of thinking, arising in the mind and we might try to prevent this happening but at first we can't do that our mind keeps running all over the place we can see that this is happening because we have a lack of sati a lack of self-awareness when we do develop more sati then this brings the mind to a sense of calm stability and steadiness this is because the mental proliferation, the discursive thinking starts to fade, starts to quieten down. And in its place we have a sense of happiness arise. And we can see this is the result of our practice. All of us wish to be happy and experience happiness. Nobody wants to suffer in life. But we must really study and observe how happiness can arise in our hearts and we must also learn how it is that suffering does arise, where it comes from. We can see that when there's no mindfulness and no wisdom in the mind then suffering can arise. So our practice is aiming to develop more sati, more mindfulness and more wisdom. This must come through training and practice and the result of this is that we develop more understanding of the mind. 
just as in our daily lives, if we're practicing uh, right livelihood, we're, um, we have a job, we go out into the world to perform a job to earn money, we have to learn how to do that job, what we have to do, all the different duties and functions involved in that job. We have to learn in order to do that job well. Dhamma practice is the same. If we want to learn about this mind and how to achieve happiness, then we have to really look and study this mind, about this mind and find out how to create the causes for happiness. If suffering does arise during the course of our practice or our meditation, the first thing is to see that this is just normal, this is part of our experience. The more we can accept it, just look at it calmly, then there's more chance, more likelihood that we'll see the cause of where that suffering is coming from. So the first step in meditation is always to develop this self-awareness, this unjudgmental awareness where we can accept the nature of the mind as it is from moment to moment. If peaceful states are arising, we accept that. If the mind is not peaceful, it's disturbed and proliferating, we accept that. Little by little we develop more and more sati, more awareness and gradually this gives us an understanding of the nature of the mind. We'll understand how these different states arise. If the mind is not peaceful, the Lord Buddha taught us to contemplate, to use our intelligence to contemplate the very nature of formation, sankhara. Formations means this body and this mind. This physical body is a formation. It's made up or formed of the four elements. The element of earth, solidity, fire, temperature, heat, water, the cohesion and air, the extension of the body. When these four elements come together temporarily, we have a body. But as time goes on, you can see that if there's any problems arise in the way these four elements are interacting, then we have what we call illness. And over time, these four elements will tend to degenerate, so we have aging. In the end, they degenerate to the point where they completely break apart, and this is what we call death. If we have no mindfulness, no wisdom, no understanding, then with this experience of old age, sickness and death, we'll tend to suffer with it in our minds. We won't accept these basic truths, we won't see them or understand them. The way the mind can learn to accept them, understand them, is through training, developing mindfulness, developing wisdom. As we do this, we will see clearer and clearer, clearer the truth of reality and with this um, seeing, clear seeing of truth, clear understanding, it brings the mind to a sense of peace. It can accept these truths and it has a sense of peace which is what we call samadhi, when the mind is firm and stable. If we keep practicing then, we can learn more and more about the true nature of reality. Our understanding of the truth will become increasingly clear in our minds. From this we'll see clearly and understand the nature of this body. 
to see that it's uh, impermanent, made up of the four elements, that it's unsatisfactory in the sense that it's subject to change, and that it's not self, not ultimately not ours to own and control and keep with us forever. The result of this kind of understanding is it brings the mind to a sense of calm, inner peace and firmness. We call this samadhi. We will understand then the true truth about life. We'll see that all of us in this world, we all have the same things. We have uh, breath. All of us use breath. We breathe in, breathe out from every, every moment. All of us have warmth in our bodies. We have the heat, the warmth generated by the digestive system, digesting food. All of us have liquid in this body. All of us have the solidity, the earth element in this body. We can see that all beings have these same things, these same universal truths apply to all beings, all people. We can see that when we have no clarity of this, we don't see these truths, then we'll just attach to these four elements as a self, and that can lead us to suffering. When we practice then, and come to these kind of understandings and insights, we can see how the whole path of practice, right from the beginning, supports the arising of true peace and happiness in the mind. We can see how the practice of generosity and kindness in our daily lives brings one kind of happiness to the mind. We can see how the practice of morality, developing care and attention with the way we act, the way we speak, will bring another kind of, deeper kind of happiness. And then the practice of mindful awareness will bring the mind to an even deeper sense of peace and happiness. It's just like when you plant a tree, if you are living in a hot place where there's a lot of hot sunshine that can um, cause you uh, discomfort, if you plant a tree and you water it and look after it, that tree can grow up to bring you um, shade. The shade of that tree with all its leaves will protect you from the heat of the sun and bring you some comfort and protection. This is just the same as our Dhamma practice. If we put effort into the practice, developing generosity, morality and mindfulness, uh, or developing what we call Sila Dhamma, this provides a sense of shade or protection from the heat, the suffering of the world. But if we don't practice, then it's like having no tree to protect you from the sun, or at least a tree that has no leaves, no, can provide no shade from the sun. So the Lord Buddha taught us how to live in the world with happiness, in a way that is peaceful. He said, we must, to, do, to experience happiness, we have to develop sila and dhamma. If we never, never develop mindfulness, then our mind will tend to caught, be caught into endless proliferation and confusion. But when we do apply the teachings in our daily life, then the mind will come to peace. Whether we're Sangha, whether we're laity, if we practice and dedicate ourselves sincerely to the practice, uh, mindfulness will gradually arise. If we practice meditation and we practice uh, mindfulness in our daily lives and learn to contemplate these teachings, 
This will bring us to peace. If we practice and try to develop mindfulness in our daily lives, little by little this will bring up a sense of inner joy and inner happiness. Little by little those factors of the peaceful mind of samadhi or concentration will arise, that is, vitaka, uh, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakata, or applied attention, sustained attention, uh, rapture, happiness, and ultimately what we call one-pointedness. When we develop a state of mind that is firm and one-pointed, it will be happy, it will be content within itself and peaceful. This is the happiness of what we call samadhi, where the mind is detached from the world, from the world of the senses and its normal mental proliferation. When we experience this sense of cool inner detachment, we're clearly able to see the truths. We can see the truth or the true nature of this body and this mind. We can see the truth that these things are subject to impermanence, they're unsatisfactory and they're ultimately not self. This kind of understanding brings a peace and a happiness to the heart. It's a spiritual knowledge, a special kind of knowledge and the happiness it brings we can say we've, we've never experienced before. It's much deeper, more profound than any other kind of happiness. The kind of happiness that arises out of the Dhamma practice has a refreshing effect on our mind. If you practice the Dhamma and you experience this kind of happiness, it can take away all your feelings of tiredness and stress that you might have gained from daily life. So I encourage you all to keep practicing, to develop more mindfulness and bring your mind to awareness in the present moment. The more that we study this mind, the more we can understand the different experiences that we have. We can see how we get caught into moods of happiness, moods of suffering. We can see all these different moods and mental states have one thing in common, that they all arise and pass away. All the multitude of different mental experiences we have um, with the power and the presence of mindfulness we can see them in a more impersonal way. We don't identify or attach to them so much and we're able to catch them all, know them all as they arise. And with the presence of mindfulness we don't just attach to them as a self, as my mood, my happiness, my suffering. Um, and this is the way that we can prevent the mind falling into, into suffering and unhappiness. We can see all of the different mental states, mental experience we have as impermanent, unsatisfactory and not self. It's mindfulness and wisdom that sees this. And uh, the presence of mindfulness and wisdom will act to avoid letting the mind get caught into the different moods and the different states of mind that cause a suffering. Mindfulness and wisdom will prevent the mind from attaching to this body or the, the mind and the experience of the mind as a self. If we lack mindfulness and wisdom, we'll always tend to proliferate, get caught into confusion and endless thinking thinking about the future, thinking about the past, spinning the mind around. But the more we bring up mindfulness and wisdom, 
the more we'll develop the ability to let go of all this proliferation and leave it behind. The result of this is that the mind becomes brighter and more radiant, more happier, more peaceful. The more we develop mindfulness and wisdom in our daily life, then the more we'll be able to experience this happiness in our daily life. If we are still experiencing different kinds of stress and suffering, then try to be patient with that and keep coming back to the practice and putting your effort here. Sometimes we might find that we're feeling lazy, we can't be bothered to practice, or we just give in to our different moods even though we know they're not very skillful. But keep trying to contemplate, to see the harm of this, to see that the result of that is that we suffer. This will give, bring up more effort, more energy in the practice. We'll put more effort to restrain our unwholesome tendencies of our actions or our speech, so we, we develop sila, and we'll put effort into developing mindfulness and wisdom to actually abandon these unwholesome mental states on the level of the mind. In the end, this will bring us to that clear knowledge that sees the body as the body, the mind as the mind, and mental phenomena as mental phenomena, without a sense of identification or a sense of self. So please dedicate yourself to the practice uh, in all its forms. You can dedicate yourself to supporting this monastery, Buddha Bodhiwana Monastery, Try to see the value of this place because it is a place of practice where we can build up our practice just as we've come together to build up this hall, construct this Dhamma Hall um, where many people can benefit from hearing the teachings and practicing the teachings. Uh, try to put effort into your practice as well to build up your own practice. Try to keep your lifestyle in line with the teachings of the Buddha that is the Eightfold Noble Path, the area path. That means trying to develop right view in your life, understand karma, understand what is wholesome karma, unwholesome karma, and see the fruits of karma. Try to develop right speech, right action, right mindfulness, right effort, all the different aspects of the spiritual path. If we have all of these in our life, governing the way we do things, the way we think, the way our attitudes, um, the result will be that we have sila and dhamma. If we have sila, a sense of morality, we'll have peace, we'll have peace in our hearts. And you could say it's as if we're already living in heaven. Because when you have a sense of morality, a sense of moral shame and a, a fear, a wholesome or intelligent fear of the consequences of wrongdoing, this brings to the mind a sense of happiness, freedom from remorse. And it also supports the develop, further development of mindfulness and wisdom that allows us to see the different truths that the Buddha was pointing to, the truths about this body and this mind. And when we fully understand these, then we'll have reached true peace. <laughs> As this is the last evening talk of Tana Jan's visit, I'd just like to say on behalf of the Sangha and the lay, all the lay supporters who have participated over the last few weeks, we're very 
grateful for Tanajan's teachings, very thankful that he came and I'm sure um, all of us have benefited and I hope that uh, any things that you've heard that stimulated you to think more about the practice, put more effort into your practice, and that can be the benefit of his visit and you can take away these teachings really, um, use them and contemplate them and use them in your lives to find more happiness, more peace. Are there still any questions left after all these days? The different thoughts that arise in our mind, if we attach to them, then they become mental karma, even if we never say or act on them. So, because of that, we have to develop mindfulness to get to know what we're thinking and to know if it is wholesome or unwholesome. And the Buddha's teaching, what we call right effort, is the effort to abandon unwholesome thoughts that have arisen. So you have to, when you have established mindful awareness, you know this thought I have in my mind is unwholesome, we have to find a way to abandon it, a way of contemplating or developing a mindful awareness enough, strong enough that we can let go, abandon that thought. Um, and we also have to put effort into bringing up wholesome thoughts. And the more you know with mindfulness what is wholesome thinking, unwholesome thinking, and the more skillful you become in doing this. Uh, so your aim is not only to abandon unwholesome thinking, but also to prevent it arising again, actually prevent it arising in the first place by knowing clearly what is wholesome, what is unwholesome thinking, having that mindfulness. You can say that all of our Buddhist practice is practicing for the moment of death. We're particularly developing this mindful awareness from moment to moment. Uh, it's the best preparation for death because you're bringing your mind to a state of wholesomeness when, it, when, it's, when there's mindfulness there. And all of the different aspects of your practice are supporting um, how, will, how you will face your death when the time comes. All the happiness that you generate through uh, the practice of dana, so supporting a monastery like this, coming, um, offering, making offerings, uh, the practice of sila, learning to restrain your unwholesome tendency with your body and speech, and then the practice of mindfulness and meditation, um, gradually letting go, abandoning unwholesome mind states, developing more mindfulness, more clarity, more insight. All of that, the result of it is that you have increasing happiness, increasing peace of mind through your life. 
And so obviously the more you practice, the more you develop that sense of inner happiness and peace, the more that will support you at the time of death. So really what you're doing right now, just keep doing, keep practicing, keep developing the, the right path and this will support you right through to the end of your life. Is it what to be judged? Normally when human beings still have at different attachments and are under the influence of delusion, they haven't perfected mindfulness and wisdom, then they will have preferences and they'll get caught into liking and disliking and this can apply to other people and when we have attachments and preferences and we like this, we don't like that, then of course that can make us judgmental of other people. The, one, the, the parts of other people we like will say are good, the parts of other people we dislike will say are bad and we maybe paint the picture, the whole picture, this person is good, this person is bad or just part of them. But this is coming from attachment and delusion. And because of this, the Buddha always said that the way to remedy this judgmentalism is to come back and always look at our own mind first. And the more we study our own mind, our own life, our own behavior, then we'll get a clear, um, you could say detached or equanimous view without bias. So we, first of all we look at our actions, say, are our actions skillful or unskillful? What are the results of our actions? We look at our speech, is it skillful or unskillful? What are the results of our speech? And then we look deeply into our mind to see what are we thinking? Is it correct, incorrect? What are, what are the results of what we're thinking? The more we learn to do this, instead of looking outside and judging the world, judging people around us, we turn inside and look at our own minds. This will bring our minds in line with the sila, with the dhamma, with the teachings. And you know for yourself whether your mind is wholesome, skillful or unwholesome, unskillful. Um, this will take you beyond uh, judgmentalism just based on bias, your own previously accumulated biases or the biases of other people. Say, when we live in the world, other people will judge us. Some people will say, we might do something and they say, well, that was good. Or they might say that was bad, that was wrong. But what they say isn't the full story, is it? We have to look at our own heart and know what I did, what I said, what I saw. Was it really good or really, really bad? Was it really skillful, really unskillful? We can see sometimes we do something good, but other people criticize us. They say, oh, that was bad, that was wrong. But if we know for ourselves, then we don't have to suffer because we know from our own investigation that oh, what I did was truly good. Other times we do something that's wrong or bad, but other people might praise it. They might say, oh, that was really good. But again, you have to go back and investigate what I did, what I said, what I did. Was it really good, really bad? Only then will you know. You can't just take the words of other people. You have to really experience for yourself and then you'll know for yourself. Having said that, that we um, have to learn and get to know our own minds, our own thoughts, our own intentions. At the same time, we also should recognize that often because we are under the influence of delusion, 
we should also be open to listening to others, especially um, people who have already developed the path and developed their mindfulness and their wisdom because they can help point out where we're being deluded. So this is why, say, in society we respect, particularly, say, uh, teachers who have practiced for themselves, understood their own minds and the way to bring their mind to clarity, to insight, to peace. Um, whatever words of guidance they give us, we should take them seriously because they might have more experience in how to look after the mind and how to behave correctly and know the real path that will lead to the end of suffering and understand what behavior, what ways actually create more suffering. They have a very clear understanding of that so their words can be very helpful. Uh, that can also apply in the family, our relatives, our family members can also give us reflections and help, advice that we should be able to receive. So the Buddha always encouraged us to be um, able to communicate with others, to receive reflections and advice from others, not to push it away, cut it off, but be able to receive. Um, then we reflect on it, consider it for ourselves and compare what we've heard with our experience in our hearts. And ultimately we have to look at what is causing suffering in our hearts if we have suffering and that, that suffering is always generated by thoughts rooted in greed, anger or ill will or different kinds of delusion. And the way out of that is always to develop the opposite thoughts rooted in uh, non-greed, so generosity, kindness, non-attachment, non-ill will, so kindness, compassion and non-delusion thoughts rooted in wisdom and coming from wise reflection. And the more we develop those uh, and give up the unwholesome thinking, the more we'll bring our mind to peaceful, uh, very bright, very radiant states. The practice of metta meditation always begins with directing our attention to ourselves uh, with the thought, may I be well, may I be free from suffering. Just as we chanted tonight, ahang sukito homi, may I be, uh, may I abide in well-being, may I be happy. And it's essential to get that um, right, to always begin by developing this uh, metta to oneself first and just to recite that you could just recite that phrase either in Pali or English just keep reciting it silently to oneself and really establish that sense of well-being for oneself once that's established then one can go on as we do in the chant one can go on may all, all beings be well and happy and then one turns that, one can still recite that same phrase over and over again and one turns attention to all beings. And one proceeds like this. The important thing is to use this as a meditation object. We're developing mindfulness by recollecting the thought, may I be well. And if we have mindfulness and keep applying our mindfulness to that thought, then naturally the mind will start to calm down. 
because it's not thinking of other things, it's not scattered. As the mind calms down, we'll feel more relaxed, more happy in ourselves, and we start to experience the peace of what we call samadhi, the mind feels stable, calm. The more um, samadhi we have, the more metta we have. Metta and samadhi are the same thing, because if the mind becomes calm, stable, then naturally it won't have thoughts and feelings of irritation, anger, ill will. And so if we have really have mindfulness with this, this meditation, we have mindfulness with the thought, may I be well, may I be free from suffering, keep developing mindfulness on that, we'll get to a point where we have no ill will in the mind at all. And we'll know that the mind will be peaceful and calm. Um, so the benefit or the result, the wholesome or good result of this practice is that one experiences actually a feeling, a state where one is free from ill will, free from anger. That won't just be a feeling one experiences for oneself. It will come out in the way one speaks. The more one has that, that state, it will be uh, displayed in one's speech, one's actions. One won't um, harbour ill will in the way one talks to others. It won't come out in the way one relates to others, one's actions. Uh, so it will, it will be manifesting in the things we do, not just as a state and in a state of mind. And the main one is we'll be able to remedy our anger. We'll be able to use this state, recollect it, develop it, to let go of our anger towards other people. So not only will we benefit, but other people will benefit because we'll have no more anger towards them as long as we have that state of mind. Maybe that's uh, enough for tonight.